Hello, everybody. This is Noah and John, and we are from Urban Digs. And today we are talking Manhattan. And John, I'm very excited about today. We got a, a friend and a, and a very great colleague. I've known her for so many years. We got Nicole Gary, um, CEO of the Nicole Gary team over at Keller Williams in New York City. I mean, this is one hell of a passionate woman right over here. She sold over a half a billion dollars um, in transactions in New York. And I believe she's making an entrance down in South Florida. And we got her all to ourselves for about the next 15 or 20 minutes to tell us everything, Johnny, about what's going on. And I'm going to start right up, John, and get right into that first question. Nicole Gary, please tell me, thank you all for being here first off, but please tell me what is going on in the general market today versus the last couple of quarters. Yeah, thanks for having me, Noah and John. Um, so 2024 should be an interesting year ahead. Um, I will say that the market has actually picked up the first few weeks of January, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Q4 was pretty quiet, especially in the under $2 million market. We It was like crickets. Um, we barely had showings on a lot of our listings. Buyers were really on the sidelines waiting to see what, what happened with interest rates. And we've had a lot of traffic over the past few weeks since the beginning of 2024. So hopefully that means we're going to have a bright 2024. Um, we actually just saw one of the largest contracts ever signed in Manhattan, uh, Central Park Tower. They were asking $150 million. We know it's in contract for over $100 million. So that's really exciting for the luxury market in Manhattan. It means that more money and more international money is coming back. And people are not scared to spend and put money back into the Manhattan real estate market, which they look at like a global piggy bank. No, that's great. I'm just curious. So with the people that are coming in, when you talk about that traffic is increasing, is there any sense as to what is why now? Why not say six months ago, eight months ago, or anything like that? Yeah, great question. So with 2023, we saw interest rates increasing, constantly increasing um, very quickly. And we saw you know a little less supply, but buyers were sitting on the sidelines. So Buyers, you know, who thought they may be getting in at a three, four percent, all of a sudden now the interest rates rose so quickly to seven percent, they didn't want to, you know, they didn't have as much buying power than they did prior. So they really had to sit back and think about, you know, what can they spend, what can they afford, where is the economy going? And everybody went into a holding pattern, is what it seemed like in 2023, especially Q3, Q4. We saw a lot less transactions happen, a lot less traffic. And I think the wise buyers right now are kind of doing what they did in uh, 2021 coming out of COVID, which is they see the opportunity and they're taking advantage of that opportunity right now. As interest rates went down a little bit, you can always refinance a loan. And if you're, it's all cash, right now is the time to get into the New York City market. And there is an opportunity to do that. Once interest rates fall more and more inventory potentially comes on in the spring season, then there's going to be a mass amount of buyers out there. There's going to be a lot more competition. There's going to be tighter inventory and prices, I think, are going to go up a bit, which means right now there's a short period of time for buyers, savvy buyers, to take advantage of that opportunity. Buyers who are educated in the correct way know that, you know what, now's the time. Don't wait until March, April, May, the summertime because they may have lost out on that window where they have opportunity and they could still negotiate a potential you know, price at a substantial level 
less than they may we may be in the spring market. Right. And you you know, just a second ago, you also touched on some of the luxury deals that have been done in the city and sort of, you know, chalking up prices that you may not have expected, some some bigger deals coming through the pipeline. And I'm curious, you know, when you look at that luxury market, do you have a sense of, you know, what what sort of opportunities you're seeing? I mean, are you seeing some discounts or are you seeing longer time on markets? You know, what's what's happening in this luxury market from your perspective? Yeah, great question. So I focus a lot on the luxury market. Yeah. And the luxury market was pretty quiet in 2023 as well. But the fourth quarter, we actually saw a lot larger luxury deals, the 10 plus million dollar sector start happening. Um, we started seeing, you know, those 20 plus million dollar deals happen. We saw, we did see price decreases in the luxury market and that brought more buyers. Um, there's a lot of different factors that are happening in the economy where especially international buyers are now taking their money back and they're not scared to spend money on luxury real estate because they know that there's an opportunity as well. There's also a shortage of inventory. There's a shortage of new development. There's a shortage of trophy apartment. And that is actually causing more and more transactions to happen offline, but also it's a matter of supply and demand. So that luxury market, you know, people are willing to pay for an asset, but the really savvy luxury buyers who have a massive amount of wealth and are bringing it to New York or are already in New York, see when there's an opportunity and they saw that opportunity beginning the end of 2023. And I think we'll, they'll continue to see that because developers did lower prices a little bit on some new inventory, things that have been sitting for a while, prices came down a little bit and they had some negotiation room and we don't know how long that will last. You know, Nicole, you said something that was really important before, and I just want to uh, reiterate it one more time because I'm seeing some data on our end. Um, that really confirms this. And um, first off, this has been a long duration down cycle. I mean, this has been, you know, it's taken us a, a long time. You know, 18 out of the last 21 plus months has been below trend. It's been a challenging listing environment for seven, eight months now. Um, and prices are down about 10% median right now. So that means half is above and half is below that 10% mark. So the market's already come down and it is a tight inventory market, tight inventory market. And if we get this is the key point you said. If we get an uptick, if we have a seasonal um, strong uh, uptick in, in contract activity in, in a tight inventory market, you might see some big time bounce backs in some of those um, metrics right over there and all those buyer advantages that took 18 months to develop to get to where we are today in this moment in time. That might fade quite quickly um, if we see a return with this tight inventory. So that's a great point. Um, I wanted to just confirm that with some data we're seeing. And I, I want to ask you now the next question. Um, what are you and your team doing right now to separate yourself from other agents to help win listings, to help win deals, and to keep that production level going in such a complex market? Great question. Well, we are working harder than ever, uh, which we always do, and really thinking outside of the box and differentiating ourselves from other listing brokers and to really you know, add value. So one thing that I, my team and I have always done is provided a concierge service to our clients. We're authentic. We give, you know, we give them the numbers. We tell them the truth. We won't take listings that are priced too high because at the end of the day, it's a waste of our time and we're not doing the best value to our clients. You know, we're not acting in their best interest if we list something and we don't think the price is attainable. Um, we're in the business to sell real estate, not to have it sit out of the market. So we're really doing a lot of things. We're, we're really ensuring to show the numbers. Um, every time we go on a listing presentation, we actually include Urban Digs charts. Every single time I go on a pitch, so thank you for that data. It's very useful and it helps a lot, especially when our clients are really numbers people, which they are in New York. Um, so we're doing that. 
we're I'm ensuring, you know, we show our clients that we have the best photography, we have the best videography, description matters. We are reaching out to every other broker that we know who may have a buyer for that listing. Um, we're reaching out to everybody in the building and surrounding buildings. But we really show that we go above and beyond. We take the extra step. We make sure that we don't just put something on StreetEasy or OLR. We really think out of the box. We reach out to other agents in the U.S. Um, and abroad, and we let them know about our listings. So we market it in an array of ways. We don't just you know wait for buyers to come because they're not knocking on the door. So so let me ask you. you know- you're absolutely right. I love the way you do it. I love the fact that you use Urban Dakes charts. Thank you very much. Just remind me, please, to give me the $20, you know, after this is over. <laughs> but let me go back to one of the things I said, which is, you know, you're not in the business of wasting time. And I totally agree with that. The whole point of, you know, putting apartment on the market is to have it sell. You want to pl- price it at the market. But when the market volume is so low, that spread widens between what sellers want based on what they they think they should be able to get from what others have gotten previously and what buyers are expecting. And if buyers come out and mortgage rates are much higher and they don't see anybody else in the open house and they think, you know what, I can get a steal. That spread widens up. And I'm curious, can you talk us through some of the difficult conversations you're going to have to have with sellers in the, in the next coming days to to get a price reduction, especially if you've got a really stubborn seller? Yeah, absolutely. So I think setting realistic expectations from day one is extremely important. I'm um, going back to having that conversation with the seller before I take a listing, if I think they're way off and they want way too much, I won't take it. But if they're within where I believe the market is and it's worth, I will let them know, oh, you know what, if you want to price it at a certain point, let's see how the traffic is in the next three to four weeks. But if in four weeks we don't have any offers and we don't have anybody walking through the door, we know that we're not priced right. So I stay in front of them constantly. We do seller reports every two weeks. And we let our sellers know exactly what our competition is, how many buyers we've had walk through the door, what their feedback was, and if we have an additional any additional competition or not. And based on that, we have to do price reductions sometimes. So I have those difficult conversations with our clients, you know, every two weeks, letting them know, look, here's the traffic, here's what's happening. I think we need to do a price reduction and I stay in front of them and really just let them know this is I'm going to stop pulling this out of thin air. We are in a very weird market right now. It's, you know, there's not one specific trend and it's changing, you know, weekly, as you know. So I just stay in front of them with that data to manage their expectations and ensure that they are educated about what we're up against and know that, look, you know, I like this is the market and I don't have a crystal ball. None of us do. We can only based our decisions on what we know today. We don't know what's going to happen in six months from now. We can, you know, we can predict, but here's the information we have today and we need to make an educated decision on this based on today's data. Oh, that, that, that is the way. That is the way. Don't worry about the future. Just just be an expert on what's going on right now and how can we strategize around it. Um, can I just ask you a quick question? Um, yeah. The seller side, seller's mindset, are they starting to, are they still in denial um, are, are a lot of the sellers still thinking that the market hasn't fallen? Or are they are they starting to um, come to an acceptance period? So I've seen sellers really come to an acceptance period. Um, you know, I have been working with several sellers. I've gone on some recent pitches where they're taking a loss, you know, and they know that. And I tell them, look, this is where the market is. You're going to have to take a loss unless you want to rent your property. If it's the co-op, sometimes that's not an option. So I ask them, you know what? Do you want to sell? Do you want to sell now or do you want to sell two years from now? I don't know where the market will be, 
But again, you know, they're starting to accept, you know, and if I want to move on, I want to move to another state or I want to move my assets to a different class outside of New York real estate, I'm going to have to take a loss. And that's why I educate them. You know, when I go on those listing presentations, I constantly let them know, like, here's what we're up against. And, you know, again, we're not wasting anyone's time, but we have to set realistic expectations and they can choose to accept that or not. Or they can listen to somebody else who says, oh, yeah, I'm going to get you a pie and a high number and they'll sit on the market for six months. And then I'll talk to them six months later and sell it for where, you yeah, know, what it's it, worth. It's how you present and no. frame that conversation, right? So important. Um, and there's so many, oh, my God, it's just hard, so hard to perfect that, perfect that messaging. And you you seem to get it. Um, okay. So I know I know that this is a relationship business, right? There's definitely a relationship in the, in the customer side. Yeah, it's all about- All about relationships. Um, but it's also all about broker to broker relationships, right? Industry-wide recognition in, inside. I mean, I think a lot of people think about the customer, the client relationship side. Um, could you talk a little bit about the importance of the broker-to-broker -broker relationship side? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So I always like to say we are in a relationship business. We don't do transactions. We literally connect people all day. And the relationships that we have with other brokers in the industry are so important. They are just as important at the, as the relationships that we have with our clients. And why are they so important? For many reasons. One is if you have uh, a nice relationship and a nice rapport with another broker and they're professional, you can have that conversation. If there's multiple offers in a market like that, you can have that conversation and say, you know, kind of try to feel them out and figure out like where are those other offers. You can also kind of talk to them about like realistically, you'd say it's a co-op. Like, is this going to meet the criteria? Um, you know, and they're going to be honest with you. And professional brokers like to work with other professional brokers. Um, the most difficult part of this industry is when you have a broker on the other side of the deal who may not be educated or doesn't know how to, you know, put a board package together or really manage those expectations of their clients. That makes our jobs even more difficult because we end up handling both sides. And it's just the best thing in the world, I think, to have a great rapport with other agents, especially those holding the listings. Whether you're on the buyer side, you're on the seller side, you always want to keep a nice relationship and rapport because you never know when it will come back to you and when you'll be on that opposite side representing the seller or the buyer. And that relationship that you have could really give your clients the upper hands if there is you know, a way to get a deal done, you're able to just call them and, you know, have that friendly conversation where if you don't know them and you don't have a relationship, somebody else might come in and do that. So I think more and more too, because we are seeing more transactions happen offline, we are seeing, you know, more pocket listings. And that's another place where these broker to broker relationships come in. So anytime I have a client looking for something and that inventory does not exist, I pick up the phone and I call other brokers that I know and that may have a client that has that inventory, but it hasn't come online. Or maybe they weren't sure if they wanted to sell, but there's a the potential that they want to sell. So I think those broker to broker relationships are more important now than ever, especially with tight inventory. Yeah. Let me, let me just say that that really is a fantastic point. And I think that's something a lot of new agents in this industry miss. And that's the fact that there really is a broker-to-broker -broker world in which deals sort of get done. It's you know it's the behind, the behind closed doors, smoky room kind of thing where there are conversations about about listings and units that will get a deal done. And how do you how do you get that going? 
Go out and Rebney host events. Go to Rebney events. Go to broker open houses and just get out there and talk to your brokers. It's it's one thing is that everyone's focused on being consumer facing and getting their name out and getting buy side clients, getting sell side clients. But you also have to hammer that broker to broker relationship. That is a fantastic point. And I think it often gets overlooked Absolutely. in the conversation. But now shifting to what people want to talk about, which is you know getting your brand out there and you know building your name and your brand. Tell us about how you... What's some of the successful things that you've done to build your, you know, well-known name and brand? Yeah. So, um, you know, building my brand, I really did it authentically. So I never tried to be anybody I wasn't or I didn't believe in fake it till you make it. But I always loved being around luxury real estate. I was passionate about it. I, I grew up around it, being in the custom window treatment business. And I learned about it. And when I first went into the business, social media was, we're just coming out of MySpace going into Facebook era. And there was no Instagram yet or Snapchat. And I used to post articles about luxury real estate. And that created, um, you know, my brand. So it was funny. I would run into people that I knew or grew up with and they'd say, oh, you know, we have, we want to buy a one or $2 million apartment, but the price point is too low for you. And I'd say, no, it's, you know, we help everybody. I have a team and we'd be more than happy to help everybody. But that perception of everything that I was doing, the way that I traveled, um, hotels I stayed in, going to different charity events, um, the way I dress, going to fashion events, that really helped build that luxury brand. I also believe that the way you dress is extremely important in this business. I always say to my team, we are professionals. I don't care if your client's a jeans and sneakers guy and we're showing something downtown, you always dress up because you are the professional and they look up to you. It doesn't matter what the price point is. And that has helped build a luxury brand as well. Um, somebody said to me, uh, when I think Nicole Gary, I think a business suit, high heels, and a penthouse overlooking Central Park with floor-to-ceiling glass. And I built that brand because that's what I had a vision of, and that's what I saw. And I consistently surrounded myself with that. I got to know every top property. Um, years ago, when 157 was being built and there were just renderings, I was new to the real estate business, and I was selling in uh, the Time Warner Center at the time. And I, I put in my cubicle back then renderings of 157 of this gorgeous apartment and this elegant looking lady in the bathroom with views of Central Park. And years later, I manifested that. So I sold that exact apartment. And it was funny because I looked back and thought, wow, I believed in this and manifested it. And this is the brand that I built. So also providing the highest level of customer service. So I believe that not only is it a relationship business, but luxury is not just, you know, something, it's a touch, it's a feel. It's the way that it makes you feel. It's the way that your agent makes you feel. So ensuring that we give our clients the best service from picking them up in a car to the airport, at the airport if they're coming from out of town, to getting them restaurant reservations, you know, providing them with the hotels that I think that they'll like. I think that's really important when you're building a brand. And, you know, that luxury brand, again, is not just, you know, nice hotels and nice vacations and authentically, yes, I've built a great clientele just by traveling and being myself and speaking on stages about luxury real estate. But it really comes down to that experience that you give your clients going above and beyond and going that extra step. And um, we've helped manage clients' properties here. We've, you know, if something went wrong, we'll go meet an elevator inspector, whatever it is that we need to do, we always ensure to take that extra step. Um, I had a client in town several weeks ago, it was Thursday, and they mentioned wanting to go to Carbone on Friday. And 
usually you have to wait a month for a reservation, but I happened to know somebody who was able to get my clients that reservation with their kids on Friday night, and they were so happy. So that is really how I- I'll take one. Dream. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm getting less. I got to tell you, you know, I started out by saying the passion, and I hope people could now see it. I mean, I've known you a long time. You deserve all the success you get. You, you really worked hard. You really worked so hard to get to where you are. The energy that you have to do what you got to do to provide that extra service. I mean, guys, there's a formula here and you see it with other agents too. There are consistencies with a lot of the top. These are the traits and the attributes that define um, the leaders and the top producers that come up and everyone's trying to grow their business. I know it's hard to find all those guys that are just starting out for all those agents that may be struggling a little bit. Um, is there any, just to wrap everything up, is there anything that you would tell maybe a new agent, maybe an agent that hasn't done a deal in a couple of months and they're trying to figure out where do I start? Well, what advice could you give them? And then we'll end this, end it right there. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it, Noah. And yes, we do work very hard. Most people don't realize everything that goes in behind the scenes. I would say never give up and stick to one thing that you're really good at. Don't feel like you have to try 10 different things to get the business. Be authentic. Be yourself. People want to work with people they know, like, and trust. So reach out to everybody you know. You already have a network. Make friends wherever you go and just keep at it. You know, there's clients I've worked with for 10 years before I finally sold them a property or they gave me a listing. But you have to be consistent and you have to consistently follow up. Follow up, follow up, follow up is everything in this business if you want to be successful. I love it. Love it. Johnny, do you have any final questions for Nicole? No, I don't. But I would like to tell a story. And I, I know I, this will take you back. This is, I think, I want to say spring of 2017. We were launching the Urban Digs app and we are so proud of it. And we sunk, I, I don't know how many zeros, but it was, a, it was a ton of zeros we sunk into this thing. And we went and we met with you, Nicole. A long time ago down at Keller Williams, the Tribeca office, and you took time out of your schedule. And I, I remember you were critiquing every little detail. I mean, you went through this thing and you it was a it was a great honor, the fact that you spent so much time with us. And I remember you had two clients call that day and you answered them, you're like, I'm sorry, I have to call you back. I'm 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 in an appointment right now. And I was like, Oh my gosh. So I, I appreciate that. You are one of the hardest working folks out there, and it's uh, it's been an honor. Yeah. Thank you so That's much. Actually. It's really my pleasure, and thank you for recognizing that. That's the other key of advice. Always answer your phone. <laughs> I love it. Respect. Awesome stuff. Uh, Nicole, Gary, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate it. And I hope some agents got a couple of meaningful pieces of actionable insight here that they maybe can apply to their business and grow their business. Um, that is John Walkup. I am Noah Rosenblatt. This has been Talking Manhattan, and we will catch you guys next time. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.